Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Making Sense of MarTech and a regular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, tech, and advertising. My name is Juan Mendoza. I write the MarTech Weekly Newsletter, a weekly email that covers the most important shifts in marketing technology. People who work in the world's largest media, tech, and marketing companies read it every week. Today, I'm joined by Charles Burdett, founder of The Product Club, Workshop Tactics, and a new product soon to be released called Storytelling Tactics. Charles is a world-class expert in design, UX, and workshops. And he's worked with companies like BBC in the UK and the co-op. Product Club is trusted by brands such as IDEO, Lyft, Facebook, and Stanford University. Now, Charles, he lives and breathes uh, design culture. He lives and breathes uh, UX and he's got some really great perspectives and insights on how to embed design thinking in your organization. We also talk about his perspective on building a product and taking his own principles and applying it to Product Club. So now I give you Charles Burdett. Hello, thank you for having me. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. Nice and, uh, nice and cold in Britain today. I think it's like minus four, which is awful. <laughs> it's it was 30 degrees today in australia so i, I don't want to make you feel upset mate but uh, <laughs> um so slightly uh, jealous but charles thanks for joining us on making sense of martech now i'd love for you to give us a bit of an introduction to yourself what you do with product club and workshop tactics and uh, yeah a little bit of background in terms of your work yeah so i'm a designer first and foremost and i work with at the moment, I'm, I do consulting for companies to help them build better products, really. And Product Club is a community that I started to help other designers who are trying to do the similar things come together and, I guess, have a bit of a safe space to talk about the struggles of trying to do good design in large organizations. And Workshop Tactics was the thing that kind of kicked that all off. It was well, it is a deck of cards which have workshop recipes on how to run design thinking workshops because I'd noticed that a lot of designers were struggling with just getting sucked into boring, dull, unproductive meetings and to actually make good products, you need to work well with people. And so I just put all of the stuff that I was using into one place and, and so, you know, wanted to see if anyone was interested in it and turns out they were, and that's then what kind of led on to starting this community slash publisher business, which I'm still kind of working out. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, Charles, because I've been through quite a few very boring workshops. And when, you, when you're in a bad workshop, you know, it's really bad. <laughs> and when you're in a good workshop, it's really good. And people remember those experiences. So I can imagine you've had quite a bit of success with your product. And a lot of it is to solve on that problem of what's a great way to actually plan a workshop. Uh, particularly from a UX and a design front, how do you actually bring stakeholders together? How do you align them across visions, do OKRs and other things like that, which is really great. And it's a great resource to have in the industry. I came across it, oh, maybe two, three months ago. And the first thing I thought was I need to buy this right away, purely because, you know, sometimes our workshops aren't so great and I need some help. So I'd like to get uh, your perspective on how you see design-led culture. How does it actually work? It's a very um, complex space. There's a lot of different things happening. You have designers, you have UXs, 
and you have design thinkers and you have a whole bunch of different roles in um, different organizations. And it, sometimes it can come down to how people work, but I'd love for your take on, yeah, how you see design-led culture working in the organizations that um, you've been a part of. Yeah, so it, most large organizations are like a very large ship and to turn them into any kind of one degree difference of direction is very difficult. And they tend to not be design-led. They are kind of grown from the systems that have allowed them to flourish, which tends to be well, a number of things. But as a designer going into a large organization like that, you, you tend to be up against kind of arbitrary deadlines, working in a very waterfall kind of sequential way of working without experimentation and so really it's the opposite of what design culture should be it's very fixed it's very prescriptive and as designers i mean the world is designed everything around us is designed so when when you lead your organization or your business with design at the forefront of your mind you are successful you need to look at you know the typical ones to look at such as apple or tesla or i think mckinsey did a report on all of the companies that have a design-led CEO and just saw that their um, stock price was higher than their counterparts. So this idea of design culture is really kind of foundational to the success of a of a business, I think. And I think most, this is kind of why I started Product Club is, is because most designers that um, I've worked with or speak to, they feel like they're on this lonely rubber dinghy of trying to get people to care about good design in a big sea of people just not giving a crap about <laughs> design. They're hit, worried about hitting targets and deadlines and all the rest of it. And so this idea of design-led culture, it's more about instead of trying to like grab people by the scruff of the neck and say, please care about design, it's really important. It's more about trying to influence the culture and make people care about design almost slowly and carefully I guess might be a way of um, looking at it and I think when I've worked in places where the whole team or the whole department or even the whole organization when when the conversations come down to is this going to help the user or how do we know this is going to work or they've got that design thinking user-obsessed culture that's when magic really happens and what I'm trying to do in my consulting is going into organizations who are struggling with that who can see the potential to change culture but they just don't know where to start and workshops and workshop tactics was one small foot in the door to changing design culture because if you can change your kind of directionless meetings into something a bit more structured that's talking about ideas and coming up with ideas for experiments that you're going to test with users, then suddenly you're starting to ever so slightly change the culture towards having a meeting on purpose versus having a meeting because it's almost like a, a habit and having those purposeful meetings with design almost in the background to say this, we're having this meeting to move the design along and we're, ta and we're talking about how is this going to affect the end product and ultimately help the end user? So that's that's kind of a, a whistle-stop tour of where my mind's at with all of that. Yeah, one thing that came through, Charles, for me was 
this concept of uh, customer centricity and helping companies really responding to the needs of their customers. And a lot of that has to do with design-led culture because to your point, everything in a company is designed. You know, you can design a customer journey. You can design a landing page. Uh, you can design an email template. All of those different aspects are elements of design and design carries the brand. But more importantly, there's a real functional element uh, to design where it actually solves on customer problems. It reduces anxiety, alleviates friction. It draws attention to the most important aspects of whatever that experience a customer is dealing with at this point in time. And so I really love that concept around how do you actually start changing um, the culture in an organization towards becoming more design-led and becoming more centered around the customer and their needs as opposed to potentially the strategies that a market or uh, somebody in digital is trying to push ahead. So you founded Product Club. And for our listeners, Product Club is, it's really a a subscription-based, membership-based community that's focused on enhancing the skills uh, of people um, that work in UX and design. But it's also a really great community where a lot of people can come and rub shoulders. They can be challenged. They get feedback on their work. There's a whole bunch of great aspects to Product Club and it is fairly new as well. So I'd love to get your point of view on why you founded Product Club in the first place. What kind of needs did you see in the market? You touched on a few things before around sometimes designers are the only people in the company (laughs) that are thinking in a design-led way. So I'm really great to get a point of view from you on why Product Club is needed in the market and what sort of needs are you addressing at the moment? Yeah, so when I launched Workshop Tactics last year, I think it was last August it it went out, I was still not really sure why people were buying it because all of the content in the cards is available on the website. And I was really curious to find out why people still, you know, it's not a cheap thing. It's an expensive, high quality deck of cards. And I was curious to why people were, were buying it. And so I scheduled as many as I possibly could. I think I ended up speaking to about 50 of my customers about workshop tactics with the sole intent of asking them like why the hell did you buy it but in possibly a more um, subtle way than that and also the second question I asked is like what what is missing what do you need what you know I guess eating my own dog food following my own advice is speak to your customers and your users and learn what pain points they have and so the reason they were buying it Obviously, it's a useful tool to have to hand. If you're planning a workshop, you can just grab the box and find workshops that are suited to you as a designer and a product team, because that's who it's targeted towards. But it turns out that, and despite you know all of us being remote, because this was this product was designed to be used in the office and 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 whatnot. Despite that, people were still buying it because they wanted their team to see that what they were trying to do wasn't coming from them. It was coming from this almost official source. So they were, if they were trying to run more design workshops, instead of them taking the weight of it upon themselves, they can point to this box of cards and say, oh, it's not me, it's from this deck of cards and it's this way to help us design better products. And that gets that almost gives the team permission to explore this thing without the risk of someone's reputation being at stake. Because if it doesn't work out, you can just blame the box of cards, which I found really interesting. <laughs> what what and what that was what that really means, reading between the lines, is they're using the cards to change their team's culture to say, hey, let's try and do more of this. 
And that was a small light bulb moment for me, which is they're not trying to run, it's that jobs to be done framework thing. They're not, they're not hiring the cards to help them run workshops. They're hiring the cards to help them change their team's culture to be more design led. And so moving on from that, the other thing that was missing that they felt was that these workshop recipe cards, it, it almost is like a, a recipe book that a chef might put out. It's like, here's how to make scrambled eggs. And step one is to crack some eggs and whisk them. And then you might want to start sauteing some onions on the side. I don't know why you do that with scrambled eggs. Maybe you're making an omelet. But the problem with, with that is that sometimes some people, if they've never sauteed onions before, it's hard to kind of convey what that is or how to do it on a card. And so with every great recipe book, the chef usually does a TV show or some some search where they're, they film themselves showing you how to do the recipes. And that was another kind of node that clicked in my brain, which was, okay, so they're, they're trying to change culture in their teams and they need more context about how to use these cards to get the best out of them. And then the idea of having this community was already something that was bubbling under the surface with workshop tactics. Cause when you bought the cards, you were invited to a Slack channel where you could talk, but I wanted to like formalize that a bit more and have a place where I could have this content where I'm demonstrating the cards and where other people can have a bit more of a long form kind of community feel to it. So also my desire to, move into more of a publishing aspect which is to you know workshop tactics is one deck obviously i've got the storyteller tactics cards coming next which also pins on changing your culture through stories so i wanted to give myself the room to be able to grow the the product offering and so all those things just align really nicely that it's a place where i can give context to the to the product with extra content which is an extension of the product a place for these people like-minded people who are struggling with the same problem of changing their culture to meet and to you know um, learn from each other and it was a chance for me to also grow the the product offering so that that's that's the the story of kind of how i got to where i am it's a great story and i think what you've touched on there is really important. There's a subjectivity aspect to uh, the work that you're doing with workshop tactics and also extending that with our product club is that you're giving design thinkers, uh, people who work, who run workshops, who do a lot of this kind of work in companies, giving them an objective source of validation to say <laughs> that they're on the right track or that their work is industry standard because, you know, workshops can be run in a million different ways. And so can a design sprint it can be run a mil million different ways. What I really like about Product Club and Workshop Tactics is this, this real objectivity aspect to it and a real authority to it as well to say this is more of a industry standard as opposed to here's a few recommendations. And then you've got people learning from each other and then honing what they're doing because you know the whole aspect behind design thinking is the constant iteration, the testing or learning, and then that incremental change, those step changes over time. And I can imagine your community is also getting that as well, those step changes in their own practice and their own working, working out what they're doing with their organizations as well. I've talked to quite a few people in this space and even just embedding that culture of, yeah, design thinking is really challenging. And so I can see why a lot of people have gravitated towards your product, initially workshop tactics and now product club, and actually how it's adding a lot of value to people as well. It's very unique in the industry. So we've talked a little bit about product club, but I'd like to get your perspective on 
how you see design culture playing out specifically in ways of working. Where do you see some industry shifts happening? You've been in the industry for quite a while now. Where have you seen a lot of the changes in organizations? You know, there's tech companies who kind of live and breathe what we're talking about, but then there's other sort of maybe retail and other sort of insurance companies and other brands that potentially just starting to get there when it comes to thinking in this way. And so what's your take on the industry and how's it shifted over time, do you think? Well, it's from my perspective, I think that the actual design work of creating user interfaces and email templates and the things that you see fast becoming a commodity. It's not something that is a, it's not the be all end all now. I think kind of going back to workshop tactics, I think the best designers who are sort of elevating themselves up the the career ladder or or career kind of focused designers are certainly making use of the skill of facilitation. And I think that the designers who can bring a team together and get everyone to think about the same problem and work on it effectively and change the culture, I think those are the designers that are going to be the most influential. And I think there, there seems to be a massive kind of catch up of People who are green to the industry see that mastering user interface design skills is going to help them. But I really disagree that I think, yes, it's good to have good design discipline skills because that's just going to be necessary in all aspects. But the sort of design work I do now, most of the teams I work with have a design system. So there's there's no need to have to design new components. You're working with the the box of Lego of that design system already. And if an organization doesn't have a design system, I mean, there are UI kits and off the shelf design systems, Google material design, like you don't need to be designing how things look anymore. And it's putting a much greater emphasis on how things work, which is what design is. It's not just how things look, it's how how it works. And so I think your ability to bring your team along to work out how your thing is going to work over how it necessarily looks is is where the industry is. I don't know if it's shifting or has shifted or is still, I don't know. It, it, every organization is at a different level of maturity. You only need to go to somewhere like, I don't know, Amazon, and then go to somewhere, some startup place in Manchester who are just getting started like the, the the maturity level of where their design culture is at will always be different but I think what I'm seeing generally is that UI design it's almost been Instagramified is probably maybe a way of saying it where there's no real there's nothing really new to work out with user interface design now it, a lot of the human computer interaction problems of interface have been solved. There are a lot of established patterns. And once you have these patterns, trying to reinvent the wheel is kind of an anti-pattern that, you know, maybe there are some exceptions to that rule, like Snapchat, where anyone over 20 has no idea how to use it, but intuitively <laughs> 13 year olds just know how to use it. So yeah, and, that, and that's why the emphasis is, is on leadership skills, communication skills, facilitation skills. I think those are the things designers should be learning if they are to 
be successful in in their career and that's why i'm doing storyteller tactics next is that's another way of improving your communication ability if you can tell a story about um, why you're designing this thing in this way and you can bring people along with that story that's really powerful yeah, there's there's a lot of really interesting shifts in the in the industry. I'm seeing to your point. There's this real saturation where designers becoming commoditized. It's also there's all the, also this atomization that's happening. Where uh, to your point, there's design systems. A lot of organizations have those now. Yeah, you know, it's fairly new. Like that came in the last ten years. That came out of a lot of design thinking principles. And people who are getting into the this space and and they're considering a career. It's far more than the actual hands-on designing user interfaces or taking those atomized parts and putting them together for an experience. It's a lot about that uh, cross-functional alignment. And people who work in design-centric roles in companies, they have this really unique vantage point because often they're the people who get to work across different product managers or different business units. And they kind of see, get to see where different teams, are, they want to take the direction of a specific customer experience. And that, that share of voice in those teams, particularly from design people, it's actually becoming larger. They're having a bigger say in what's the right experience here? What's best practice? What makes sense from a heuristics standpoint? And using those sort of metaphysical toolkits to really determine what, what's going to be the right solution to the problem. So you've got people who work in teams that are you know, quite cross-functional. So you might be running a workshop, you might be solving a whole bunch of things within a customer journey, say a sign-up flow or something like that. In there, you might have a data analytics member of the team. You might also have somebody who works as a product owner for that website. You must, might also have somebody who's an email marketer. Uh, you might have an executive sponsor as well. And the big part of the role, I think, and that's where particularly I'm seeing the shifts is that it's moving away from just being that, hey, go and design this to, hey, let's get everybody's input. Let's actually run a really great workshop so we can really understand the problem and solve it together yep. and using design principles, which is, I think, really great and it leads to better outcomes. And I think the teams are generally more happy with those approaches as well. <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of uh, UX designers I talk to these days are happy with just getting a brief. <laughs> They want no, to no, explore no, the problem. Yeah. So, so I guess the state of design thinking, um, it's changing. You know, there's a lot of overlaps with how um, agile ways of working is being adopted within companies. So I want to switch gears a little bit here and talk a bit about workshop tactics. It's, it was your first product that you released. It is quite successful and met an obvious need in the community um, of designers and uh, UX people. I'd like to get your point of view on how you actually managed to build that product from the start. How did you go about applying some of these principles um, that you do teach um, in Product Club to building out our workshop tactics? Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's using your own expertise to build something is quite, it's quite peculiar. I think when I started working on on the idea, I was like, oh, I just need to do what I've been doing in my job to make this happen, I think. And then it kind of just works itself out that way. So to take you back to the start or like where the idea came from, I was consulting at a, well, let me go even further back. So when, to sort of how I learned workshops and things like that, when I was working an agency, I had a boss who he started, you know, he joined after I'd been there for a while and he came from the BBC and he had a wealth of experience about running workshops. And when you've never experienced a workshop before and someone like that comes in and runs one, 
it's like magic. You're like, wow, that was awesome. What just happened? How did he know to do that? Like it was, it was so effortless. It's like, but when you watch a comedian on stage and their bit that their, their set just seems effortless, but you know that they've practiced it to like the nth degree. It was like that. It was just so, so useful. And it was never really pitched as a workshop. We just turned up and he said, right, we're going to write down this. And then we did the, the small exercise and then we sorted them out and we had conversations that were seemed really productive. And when we came out of that sort of hour session, we're like, wow, we got loads done. And now we know exactly what we're doing next. And it was really exciting. And it was such a contrast to someone booking in a meeting, everyone turning up and then everyone looking at each other and going, right, so what are we doing then? What's the, you know, what's the, what ideas have we got? And that kind of contrast was really interesting. And so I learned a lot from this guy and fast forward to when I, I actually went, ended up going to the BBC, learning, you know, getting more experience running these workshops. And then I ended up going freelance and went consulting. And my, one of my first gigs was at a bank. And I, on my first day, I ran an ideation workshop for a bunch of bankers in their suits with their arms crossed, looking at me, thinking, who the hell is this guy? What's going on here? Tough crowd. Yeah. But an hour later, they came out with the same kind of wonderment that I had with my first workshop. And because the BBC culture was very much like that was, you know, business as usual was running these kinds of workshops. When you see someone experience it for the first time, it's such a satisfying feeling to see that kind of look of almost shock on their face. Like, oh my God, you can have meetings that are that productive. And the trick is you don't call it a meeting. You just say, okay, we're going to do this thing now. And that was like the start of something because that stuck with me that that moment. And the design team I was working with, they were fairly kind of new to the design thinking and workshops and design sprints and whatnot. And they came along the journey with me of running these workshops and they too had that kind of same questions that I had when I was just starting out, like, how did you do that? How did you learn how to do that? Where do you get your ideas from? And most importantly, like, when do you know what to do? And there's so many of these questions that kept coming up from different people that I thought there's, there's a problem here. And as a designer, I could, I could do something about it. So I thought, well, what if I, what if I put all of my kind of go-to workshops together in one place? And so I did that and shared it with the team and they found it really useful. And I, they helped me kind of develop it into a system where it would be easy to kind of pick the right workshop depending on your circumstance, which led to this kind of flow system. And I thought, well, if the team are finding it useful, maybe other people will find it useful. So to validate that, I did a, I made a landing page on Shopify and did some like marketing exercises really of like writing the proposition. I made some 3D mock-ups of what the product might look like if it were a deck of cards. And I ran some LinkedIn ads. I think I spent maybe two or 300 pounds on traffic. And it was just a simple, like, give me your email address if you're interested kind of capture form. And I got like 30 30% of um, the traffic signed up, which was really good because I think I've had maybe a hundred people had signed up that they're interested. And this was like a, then a running theme throughout, which was that 
I only moved to the next step when I had sort of a 70% confidence that it was the, it was going to be worthwhile moving on to that next step. So what followed from there is then I then, I then surveyed, you know, there's a bit of a love hate with surveys, but I surveyed the, those 100 people and said like, what, what is it about this that's interesting to you? What problem is it solving for you? And I actually then ended up speaking to some of them in more detail and that just helped kind of refine the idea further. And then I started making the thing, thinking, well, if these people are interested in it, I'm sure I could sell it. So I made a made an alpha version, which I got sent to a, just made made from a printer, local printer, really bad quality, but kind of on purpose to keep it cheap and to see if the card format was right for it. And I sent those out to, the trade for the survey was that they would get the alpha deck for free. So that was like a, an incentive to actually give me the, the, the research that I was after. Long story short, like the idea kind of just kept growing and I kept speaking to more people and I kept getting more feedback from people using the product that I then decided to see, okay, if this is really gonna work, Let's see if people will part with their money. That's the real test. So I I made a beta version, which was a higher quality kind of version of the alpha with some more finished illustrations. And the copy had actually been proofread once, so it was, wasn't terrible. And put that on a landing page, put a price, and I could talk for hours about pricing and picking a price, but I think I put it at 40 pounds to start with. And I said to my mailing list, which had grown to about 300 now, just through word of mouth, which was another good indicator that this was something useful. I said to them, look, if you buy this beta deck and give me feedback, it means you'll get the final thing when it happens for free. So I was almost doing a Kickstarter by accident. I was kind of raising capital from my subscriber list. Say, if you help me um, make this thing, then you can get the final thing. And I sent the email out in the evening and like five minutes went by and people had opened the email, but no sales had come in. And I thought, oh, fuck it, this is not, no one's actually gonna wanna spend money on some cards, that's insane. Cause all this stuff is just curated from the internet. Like I've not invented any of these workshops. They're all kind of from all over the place, different books and whatnot. And then 10 minutes went by and then nothing. I, I was starting to get really kind of down. Like I'd got this far, I thought I'd, I thought I had interest in it. I thought people, maybe people were just enamored by something free. And I was really in the pits of it at this point. And then the infamous cha-ching sound of Shopify went off and saw that someone had bought it. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And then like literally two seconds later, another cha-ching. And then that evening I sold 45 decks. And I was like, oh my God, this is happening. I've just raised... I don't know what 45 times 40 is, but that's how much um, cash I raised to, you know, keep the idea going. And then that was when I was like, okay, I have a product now and I can safely start working to make it actually come alive and be the final thing. And then over the course, so I, I sent out the beta cards and the feedback loop is so long on a physical product. So you have to send them out then you have to wait for, this was pre-COVID, you have to wait for people to then find the opportunity to use them. And, you know, feedback came in and dripped. So it was very, going from digital design to like rapid iteration, getting something online and testing it to moving into a physical product, really slow. 
really frustratingly slow, but worth it in the end. And it got to the point where I think the pre- so I, I then moved into pre-orders. So like the thing was in development, you could pre-order it. The betas were all sold out. Word of mouth got around. I started growing the Workshop Tactics brand on social media and writing blogs, really just trying to plant the seeds of my garden, so to speak, before the actual launch. And when it actually came to launch, I had 200 and 220 pre-orders. And then on launch day, I think I had like 100 more. And to date, I've just sold over 500, which isn't like a huge amount. But when considering the deck is like 89 pounds, it's I think like 40, 50 grand in revenue now, which is crazy that a side project like that has got, gotten to this point. And obviously now the, the community has come out of it. So yeah, the, the, to, to summarize this very long story, I just kept going through small iterative stages with everything from the price to the product itself to learning about my customers. And, and even now with doing Product Club, that started as a Slack channel. And you know, I, I dip my toe in it. And if I have any inkling that it's worth doing, I just make that decision quickly and, and, and move fast on it, which has served me well so far. That's, that's great. It's a, it's a fantastic story, Charles, because I have a very similar experience with building the MarTech Weekly newsletter and audience, starting with a very small iteration, literally a social media post, and then putting consistency of effort behind it and the willingness to experiment and try new things. It actually takes you quite far, but I really like your perspective on taking a lean agile approach to it, you know, iterating on each step. You're looking at, okay, is the appetite? Can I build a list of people who may be interested you know, and just running those small experiments to iterate and I guess validate what, uh, if this product is going to be a good fit for uh, the community that you work in. And like, I find that uh, a lot of people, they have some great ideas for products, but they, they try to take a little bit too much. <laughs> they try to take a little bit more than they can actually chew most of the time when it comes to building out their own, their product, whether it be a knowledge product or something physical, which is, I think is quite phenomenal. It's not easy to pull off a physical product to the quality that you have and to the price point uh, that you mentioned. That's not easy, but it actually just comes from consistency of effort and then small incremental changes along the way. And that's fantastic. And then taking that with product club as well, it's quite interesting. And I think when, when it comes to building a product business, product market fit is one of those really important aspects of that is understanding, okay, you know, is this actually meeting a felt need from our customer base? Is the audience addressable enough? Is it large enough that I can service it? Is it too much of a niche? There's all these different things that you think about. I think about quite a bit as well. And I just run a newsletter. I don't have physical products out in the market. And so I can imagine a lot of those types of things are going through your head as well. I'd love for you to give me a bit of a highlight on the Storyteller Tactics product and how you came across that. Because to me, that's quite interesting. There's quite a bit of collaboration with a few other people as well on that one. Yeah, so the... Work, the, the, even the name workshop tactics even back then i was thinking well if i'm doing this surely i could do design tactics or research tactics like i gave myself room for this to go horizontal across different niches and it was tempting to kind of dive into that really quickly but i think the workshop tactics journey is is almost three years in in the making now and it's only now that i'm starting to look at the next deck I think it's called the Canada Principle, where in Netflix's startup story, they were really tempted to expand into Canada, but they kept rejecting it and making sure they're focusing on the American 
market first. So I've always kept that in the back of my mind because that can really catch companies out. But yeah, the, when I when I had caught onto the seed that Product Club and Workshop Tactics is all about changing culture, that gave like a core driver or purpose behind product clubs so it's like well i'm not just going to make another deck for the sake of it it has to help designers or product teams influence their culture in a, in a positive way and storytelling is something that is massively i guess partly kind of overused and over talked about in I guess the marketing circles and advertising circle and branding especially but when it comes to the positioning of designers and the niche of the design community storytelling isn't like really I don't think you it's definitely underutilized and underspoken about I think as a, as a designer I've I've taken a full use of the impact storytelling can have like when you're presenting work or you're justifying design decisions it's really easy to bore people to death with, okay, here is the design. Here's, this is what happens when you click this button and we did this because, you know, we think it's going to work and we're, we're going to test it with users. So don't worry about that. Like it's so easy to just bore the bore people to death. But when you change what you're doing as a designer and frame what you're doing in a story, it's it not only makes you more influential, but it spreads the the power of design in your team and your organization. So when you start your story with a problem and you set and you go through the beats of how you got to where you are, you keep people engaged and uh, people understand why you've done something when you take them through that you know roller coaster of a journey to where you got to. And there's a real discipline to just not having a, a PowerPoint deck of bullet points it's a real discipline so actually trimming back a story to its bare necessities in order to get that message across and ultimately stories are there to help persuade or explain or even explore ideas and i the, the person i'm collaborating with on the storyteller tactics deck is a, a guy called steve rowling who is a business storytelling expert so he he was he's was an ex-bbc journalist he was a journalist for 20 years, so he's been telling stories for a large portion of his life. And he actually came to the agency I was working at many years ago to give some workshops on how to tell better stories. And what he taught me then has just stuck with me. Like the idea that storytelling is something that's evolutionary. It's a part of us. So if you go back to cave people times, we were sat around a fire stories would be passed down about you know how how so and so evaded getting killed by a saber-toothed tiger like those stories captivated us and for good reason is because they kept us alive because that story could then be passed down it contained information the moral of the story was the thing that um, kept us alive and it's why aesop's fables have stood the test of time because the stories are just so you know that even you know different cultures around the world have the same stories just told in different ways with different animals. They're all part of our, I guess, shared, what's the word? Human connection or something. <laughs> something yeah, like that. Like our collective experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I got in touch with Steve because stories kept coming up in my mind, like, oh, maybe a deck of 
like story frameworks to help designers be more effective in persuading and telling stories about design. That feels like where I want to go. And I remembered Steve from that workshop and the story about, you know, the saber tooth tiger story around the campfire. And it also, I was thinking like, it's naive of me to think that I can curate all of these decks if I'm going to make more decks. And it just made sense to find an expert in their field to help them produce the deck. So that's kind of how I approached Steve with it. And then that's kind of when I realized, oh, whoops, am I accidentally making a product uh, publishing business here? And I was like, oh, I am. This is a publishing. I'm literally doing what a, a book publisher would do, except they have hundreds of authors knocking on their door. But the difference is I'm going out finding them. And that's really exciting to me to see that I can now because I really enjoy the marketing side of things, as you've seen from the story I've told you about validating the idea and you know building up a subscriber list and designing the product and all the rest of it. Like that really excites me to be able to grow a product range and, a, and grow a publishing business with a community at its heart. And it's such a weight off my mind to know that I'm not the expert anymore. It's kind of a relief to know that Steve is the one coming with all of the the storytelling experience. And I'm, I'm just a cur- not only a curator of knowledge as I was in workshop tactics, but now I'm a curator of ac- experts, and I'm helping them produce these artifacts which help people. So yeah, that's that's storyteller tactics, and that's kind of where where the direction of where Product Club is going as well. Yeah, I want to touch on two things that you raised. I think the first thing relating to how important stories are in an organization. I, I kind of think of storytelling as like the default OS of human culture, but specifically, you know, for organizations, for businesses, the stories are the way people get organized. The stories that people tell themselves, the stories that, you know, the leaders tell about the company, the stories that the stock market tells about their market cap. There's all these different stories happening. And it is a skill that needs to be refined, storytelling. And particularly when it comes to creating that influence and that sense of direction and alignment between teams. And I could see that even with workshop tactics, it's quite a different uh, deck of cards, but there's a lot of alignment there because workshops are you know, all about creating alignment between teams and that shared problem solving and that shared uh, sense of direction. But storytelling does that as well. It collects people and it collects um, and it organizes people around uh, a common vision, a direction for the business, a problem that we're trying to solve for a customer. So I think that's the first thing I wanted to touch on. And it's, I think it's great, you know, you mentioned there that you're becoming a curator of experts, not just a curator of content. And there's a whole bunch of different opportunities there for collaborating with other subject matter experts and a whole bunch of different domains. So it's really opened that door, which is um, awesome to hear. So I think that was the first thing just around the storytelling. The other aspect that you mentioned at the start was the story around Netflix and that company more or less putting pushing the pause button on going into Canada and expanding so they can get their market right and they can get their existing customer base in the US under wraps and organized before they actually go and diversify into new areas. What was your launching point, Charles, do you think when it, when it came to, okay, I think I'm ready to move from potentially workshop tactics to product club. What was that point in, in time and within your own business where you decided, okay, now is the time to diversify. Now is the time to move into something else. Yeah, and I'd like to get your point. When I, I think it was at the tail end of these customer interviews I was doing for Workshop Tactics, and it was almost like a storm was brewing, happened, and then by the end of the last conversation, the storm had lifted, and 
it was almost like the product club was then revealed to me. It was always there. It was just like, okay, this is now, this is what you need to do now. You're either going to do it or, you know, that's the clearest path for you to take. And I, I just took it. I didn't really spend too much time deliberating. I bought the domain name. I went through the quite big upheaval of the web. The website used to be workshoptactics.com and I moved all to product club and I set up the, these community platforms and hooked up Shopify. So when you bought a deck, it would put you into the community and all that. And so I just did all that like in the space of a week. I was like, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing it. I'm committing to this community and the community will be at the heart of it. And so at that point I hadn't really diversified. It was still like, okay, workshop tactics customers. I am now running a thing called product club, which workshop tactics sits inside. And it's going to be a place for me to help you get the most out of workshop tactics. So for that, for, for my customers, it was really just a repositioning of the, the product they'd already bought. They're now going to be getting even more value out of it because they're kind of like grandfathered in to the community just from being a part of the Slack community. And obviously, obviously to sell a, a subscription community, you need a community. So there was a bit of a necessity to actually have a community to start with, which I already did with the Slack. And it was, that was, I think in November, and I'd been doing like weekly workshop tutorials every Friday and recording them and putting them into the community content vault where people can go back and watch them and, just doing the, the nurturing that you do for a community. And really there's nothing kind of magical about like the, you know, when did you diversify into storyteller tactics? I think the the motive behind Product Club was always to now give me the fresh canvas to say, okay, what is the next product going to be? Because there, there always was going to be the next product. And it wasn't until I was happy with the rhythm I was in with Product Club that I, th- I wanted to start to explore another product because knowing how much time and effort it went into making workshop tactics, like I had to find the manufacturer. I had to learn how to make a product. I had to go back and forth with the manufacturing process and the pre-production samples and all the rest of it, actually design the thing and the template and get the branding right the great thing about where i am now is i've done all that and so to do it again with a new product it will take like a tenth of the time but i wanted to get product club in a, in a position where the community was humming away in a good in a positive way so that if i did introduce another product that that would fit into the community naturally so i would get steve to come into the community and run storytelling workshops and he would then almost like, like the author of the the book comes into the, or the deck comes into the community. And that has like this really great flywheel effect that the more products there are, the more experts that come in and like create more value in the community with the, with the sessions that get recorded, which means the existing members just keep getting more value and they talk about it more. And, you know, that attracts more authors to, to come and work with me, so that, which gives a wider reach and a more diverse, diver, diversified audience. So the long term, yes, the long term is like, you know, 20 decks, a very diverse range of products, diverse audience. But for now, it's still sticking to the the designer trying to change their, their culture and their team. And for now, workshops and storytelling feel really complementary of each other. I don't know what the third is. It might be completely different. I don't know. So in terms of diversifying, I still feel like I'm taking the practice of 
moving in iterative steps. Like I'm not doing, it might seem like I'm, I'm making really bold moves with what I'm doing with the business, but really it's like, this is the natural next stepping stone for me to take. I've got an idea for your third set, set of cards, Charles. You want to hear it? Yeah. Yeah. Stakeholder management tactics. <laughs> well, <laughs> you could argue that workshops and storytelling can help you with that. Well, but, yeah, yeah. yeah no. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. You know, or how to write a business case maybe. But, yeah. but, but seriously, I think what you've done is really smart because you've really, instead of diversifying, you've really, you've leveraged the existing physical product into a recurring revenue bundle. So you get obviously obviously the deck of cards and an invite into the community. And then now you've created a platform. And then now you're thinking of flywheels and how the, the products compound over time. The more experts you collaborate with, develop more products, adds more value to the community. Also expands your base of addressable customers as well, moving away, including obviously um, UX and design thinkers, but storytellers, business leaders, and then whichever other direction that you go in. And so it's, yeah, to your point, it's not a diversification of product. It is a leveraging of products and building a platform around it, which you've done really well. So congrats for that. And that's, that's a really cool lesson as well around individual makers and, and creators and how they can start thinking about building a platform around what they're doing with their own products as well. So I might finish with just one last question. And our listeners are probably at this point thinking that Charles is a workshop expert. What are one or two solid principles that you've learned through potentially developing your own products, but leading workshops as well? What are those one or two principles that people get right? They tend to have a more successful workshop. So the, the one of the things that I tell people who, who are in the community kind of, you know, you know, when you repeat yourself over and over, when you feel like you're repeating yourself, it's only then does the message start to get across. So that's, uh, that's probably what I'm sounding like now, but the, 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 the number one principle that um, I remind people of is that the, the biggest problem people have with facilitating is the confidence thing. It's like, you feel like a fraud. You feel like, you know, it's a nerve wracking thing. Even I get nervous before a workshop and so it sounds really cliche but like the more you prepare and the more you practice it just the more confident you'll be with it but you have to kind of not hold on to that so much because the workshop will go in ways that you might not expect but as long as you have done the preparation that's like 90 percent of the work i think is is preparing the session and the second piece of advice that i would give for running a successful workshop is to set expectations. Like I cannot stress how important that is. If you say at the start of a meeting that you're going to interrupt tangential conversation and park it for later, then when your meeting does, or your workshop does start to get derailed by people talking about something unrelated and it seems like you can't stop it, you have given yourself permission early on to say, hey guys or gals, can we, pause that conversation and let's get back to, you know, this, what we're doing. If you don't set those expectations, then you just come across as, you can you can probably feel like you come across as abrasive when you're interrupting people or rude. But when you set the expect, expectations up front, like if you need to go to the toilet, you can just leave. You know, if, you, if you're going to have, if you're going to use your laptop or your phone, this is a big one when we're in person. Like if you're going to use your laptop or your phone, leave the room. Like it's so, I, I just hate people that use their phones or their laptops in a workshop. Yeah. It just means they're not, they're not focusing on what you're doing. Obviously you can't control that so much now. So yeah, set expectations and plan. 
And the bonus one I'll give you is that because you are in the role of facilitator, you have this natural default power that people will be looking at, especially so when you're in a, a physical space, everyone's sat down and you're stood up. You've got the, the whiteboard marker. You are in, you, you are the teacher almost. And don't forget that that power, you can leverage it. You know, obviously with great power comes great responsibility. But if you are feeling, <laughs> if you are feeling, un, you know, not very confident about facilitating, you do have this like untold power that you can use to your advantage. And if you just pretend like you're confident, then that's usually enough as well. So yeah, that's that's my advice for workshops. Confidence, set expectations, and with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, prepare, pre pretend to be confident, plan, and set expectations. Yeah, that's great. We might pause there, but Charles, thank you for joining us on the Making Sense of MarTech podcast. This conversation has been very illuminating and very helpful. We've covered a whole range of topics surrounding building your own product business from scratch and what that process looks like, right through to design culture and teams and in the industry and where we're seeing different shifts and changes. And so Charles, thank you so much for, for joining me. Where can people find you online? Well, thanks for having me. So if you're interested in, in anything I'm doing, if you go to product.club, that's the URL for Product Club. But if you want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is Durable Stretch, which hopefully you don't have the spelling of that, but that's a, an anagram of Charles Burdett. <laughs> oh, wow, really? That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> that's great. Okay, so you can find Charles on Twitter or head to product.club to view workshop tactics, the up, upcoming product and the community as well. Uh, so thank you, Charles, for, uh, for joining me. Yes, thank you very much, Juan. And hopefully we'll, we'll do this again.